0: you're listening to Voices from the Middle. This is your host, Michael Friedman, and I'm very excited today to be talking with a colleague who has a very unusual background. Uh, This podcast, of course, is for people in management that are concerned about management, and uh, we talk about the career journey that people have, and my colleague has the distinct advantage of being very well versed in this area and knows a lot about leadership and management, and at the same time knows a lot about technology, and I don't know many people that are can live in both worlds. So I'm very excited to be talking to my colleague today from Johannesburg, Martin Sutherland from Peopletree. Martin, I won't even try to do an accent, I'll just say good good afternoon to you.
1: Hi. Hi, Michael.
0: <laughs> Hi, Martin, why don't you start by, uh, by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself and the company?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I suppose I'll start with myself first. Um, since I started the, the company back in 97 and the reason for doing that was essentially to integrate technology um, data um, communications and um, a kind of a an, an, a desire to really try and understand what makes people successful so I think that kind of initial sense of what makes people tick I got started with when my dad bought uh, a set of psychology books when I was about seven. Hmm. Um, he was, he bought them they were kind of those <laughs> mail order ones that came like every month. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they, they arrived and then I started reading them and that was always kind of interesting. Um, so there's always been a, I've always been quite interested in what made people successful and also just the, the, the number of ways in which people can be successful. And then um I've I've also discovered early on in life that I was a shockingly bad employee. So I actually... We have something in common. Yes, I wasn't going to say that, but it's your podcast, (laughs) so you're allowed to say that. Um, Yeah, so I I actually only worked for a financial institution um, in the career management space in HR for about three years, ended up lecturing at the management college and then left and started my own business. So that was when I was 20 four and i'm 52 so <laughs> there's been a, a fair amount of learning and i've been i think extremely lucky in terms of the the people i've got to interact with um, and the opportunity to grow the business globally we've got clients in about 47 countries um on my on my personal list of places to be i think i had 156 when i got to Khartoum in sudan about two years ago so yeah, it's been an, a fantastic opportunity to go around and um, and and get to to see different people and different cultures, um, and still keep asking that question: you know, what is it that makes people good at what they do? Which ones are successful? And probably more importantly, how can people are successful at one point in time and then fail later on? You know, so. I think that's been something interesting. And so, yeah, the company started um, in 1997. Um, it grew out um, from here. We were based in in Dublin for about 10 years. Um, my co-founder in talent analytics was Yolanda Lacoma, who you used to work with. And um, that opened up the whole Latin American market. And so now the kind of things that we do are... You know, we collect a lot of information and we try and get the technology out there to be really engaging, really usable. Uh, so it's in Spanish, French, Brazilian, Portuguese um, and English.
0: Hmm.
1: Great. Uh, Martin, I want to uh, piggyback
0: on something you mentioned when you asked the question, what makes people successful and it's obvious, too, that uh, that people live inside an organization or that's the, the space in which they'll, they'll be uh, uh, acting. So that when you look at what makes people successful, you've also got to consider the organization they're in, the processes, the systems, and the other people that they're dealing with. And the way I look at it is that uh, people are accountable for their own career success – but that doesn't let the organization off the hook. So it's, you know, both parties have to be involved. And I think both parties try to make best efforts, but both parties also make mistakes. So why don't you start by talking about um, what you see in terms of people starting off their career and making the first transition into being a manager? What are things that people do right? And what do you think are some of the mistakes that people make? Um.
1: Well, I think, you know, to your point that um, there's two parties involved here. I mean, it is very much a relationship. So um, I think like from a personal point of view, you can have relationships at work and you have relationships that are disastrous. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean one person is bad. It usually just means there's not a good fit. And so I think one of the things that I would strongly recommend or advise people is try and find a good fit, not just in terms of the skills that you've got and the experience that you've got but also in terms of the kind of company that you want to work in. Um, you know, some, some companies are far more relaxed. They give you a lot more opportunity. They don't mind autonomy. They don't mind a little bit of risk-taking. Other companies, just that's not how it works. You know, there's more of an autocracy, and it comes from the top, and you need to comply. So I, I think, broadly speaking, one of, the, one of the biggest challenges, I always mention this with, with our clients, is the real challenge around talent management which is the organizational sort of um, requirement to try and find good fit talent, is always to try and understand the fit between the person and the context they're in. So broadly speaking, that's the company. So you generally wanna be in a company that kind of is more aligned to the sort of culture that you've got. Um, But even within that company, as you move from one level to the next, essentially what is happening is, you know, things are changing, the context is changing. So, you know, that tired cliche of the square peg in the round hole, um, we use that on the front cover of the, of the book that we've got because that is really about fit. And I always mention to, to clients that the key thing about um, understanding talent management is you need to understand, if you're going to be successful, you need to understand where you've got square pegs you know, from a people point of view. What does that person look like? And you need to understand where you have round holes. You know, what, is the comp- what does the organization need? And so it's, it's very often that um, if, you, if you consider sport, for example, you know, very often if a, if a national team or a football team um, does poorly, the coach is the one who gets fired. But in an organization, when the person does poorly, the person gets fired, not the people who put them there, not the people who support it. We're supposed to support them and make sure that they were successful. So um, I think coming to your, your question, the key thing is about – Continually managing fit. Now, um, to manage fit you have to know who the person is and luckily or unluckily that tends to stay fairly stable. I think most of the research that that we've read indicates that people will stay relatively stable for long periods of time. um, And only usually key events cause them to change significantly. Whereas the context in which they're operating can change significantly within a day. You know, I could be working for a manager who's incredibly supportive, always given me a lot of opportunity, um, really has connected me with the rest of the organization, shared their knowledge. And the next day I'm working with somebody who I just do not get on with at all. So there within a single day, everything has changed. I haven't changed because I can't change that quickly. But the relationship I have with the person who represents the organization has changed. So, um, and I think coming back to your question, the second part of your question was, what is the challenge of moving into middle management you know, and taking on that first role? Um, and we've had it even with our own, within our own organization. There was somebody who worked for us who we, we felt was a high potential. Um, I wasn't convinced they they should be managing people. I mean, they were a great individual contributor. They were a great consultant. Um, but she felt that, You know in order to advance she wanted to manage people that was an important part of her career and so we gave her the opportunity to manage people despite the fact that all the data we had said this is not going to be a great fit (laughs) and you know within a year she was she was really she was asking us if she could please go back to doing something you know um something else because managing people was just not a good fit with her And I think the sooner you can kind of figure that out in your career, the more likely you are to be successful. You know, know what you're good at. Do it at a different scale um, rather than necessarily have a look at it and say, okay, I am going to make four or five significant transitions throughout my career. Right. Martin, let's
0: stay stay with that for a moment, if we could, for a moment, about um, uh, knowing knowing where you fit. You're absolutely right. It has to do with fit. But I think people, especially young people, can sometimes make a mistake not really knowing what their strengths are or what their weaknesses are. And even I wish I – I'd have to say I've made the mistake even mid-career uh, of taking a job where I wanted to fit but didn't. So any, any way – any coaching there or any way that technology can help us really know ourselves better and to know where we fit –
1: yeah, I think, you know, it's one of those things where perhaps, um, you know, there's so many ways to use um, free apps that are out there to get feedback. Um, I think the biggest challenge for, for most people, particularly um, younger people, is that you don't always really want to know what other people think. And if you do, you've also got to kind of learn to take what they say and balance it out. You know, um what, what is seen as negative feedback can be self-esteem destroying uh, for people early on in their careers. There was some very nice research that was done and, and spoken about on the Freakonomics podcast in terms of when is a positive a negative, or when is the negative or positive. And you know, the research that was done there indicated that if somebody is beginning to learn something, let's say um, I'm starting to learn how to speak Spanish, you want to give me positive feedback. Because if you if you correct me too often, I'm going to feel like I'm not very good. And so I won't carry on trying. But if I was fluent in Spanish, I would want you to correct me more because I know I'm good at Spanish. I just want to become better at it. And so a lot of the time, um, you've got to maintain that balance. And particularly early on in somebody's career, they need to understand that you you know, we both know that self-assessments are horrible indications of what you get at. You might as well flip a coin. You know, most of what you know about yourself, particularly early on in life, is wrong. Um, so you have to get feedback from others. And you have to get it not, I believe, from a, a perhaps a personality assessment, which gives you some indication of what your preference is. I think you need to get it from um, other people. You know, it, it's if I can draw an analogy, it's a little bit like saying... I've built a uh, a product, I've gone through it, and I've identified all the features so I know what it is. But until I actually get customer reviews of that product, I don't know whether it's doing the job that I thought it was supposed to be doing or doing the job that I built it for. So the the importance of getting feedback from others is absolutely critical, and certainly technology can help with that. But even somebody who is a good mentor, who um, is skilled at providing feedback, who understands when to be, in a sense, kind and supportive and when to be more critical and supportive uh, is something that I think is, is a huge benefit to people early on in their careers. Because at that point in time, you know, they say the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. But the other half of that that idiom is that a step in the wrong direction can lead to a journey of 10,000 miles. And so you often find people early on in their careers making that step in the wrong direction and taking massively long detours to come back to where they perhaps could have been had they gotten more feedback, had they had more advice, had they been a little bit more aware of the path that they would be more successful if they followed a particular path or took a particular journey.
0: Martin, I want to ask you, let's stay with us for a moment because I'm I'm going to, push back a little bit here and say that um, it depends on the type of feedback and what questions we're asking. So for example, I know that um, there's been some concern expressed by people that says, if you ask the wrong question, you're going to get feedback that's not very useful. So for example, if I ask um, a question like, is Martin a high potential, that could lend itself to really showing or revealing more about me when I answer that question than it does about you. So people call that the idiosyncratic effect where, again, we're projecting our own shadow onto somebody. So it really doesn't say, again, much about you because when you ask that kind of question, what the heck does high potential mean? And then we create mischief. And all of a sudden we've kind of doomed you because I think, oh, Martin, you know, he's, he's not a high potential. So you, would, kind of respond to that if you would.
1: Yeah, I, uh, we see people asking the wrong type of questions uh, all the time. You know, a classic is, um, you know, we're look, we're doing succession planning. Give me three successes, and you get three names, and then the position becomes vacant. You say, well, you gave us three successes. Let's move one of them in. Like, well, that person's not ready. But you gave me three names. Well, yeah, because you asked for three names. If you said, are there any successes ready? I would have given you. I would have said, no, there's nobody who's who's even close to ready here. Um, and, and, but that's an easy one. I think when it comes to people based questions, uh, it's even more, um, important to understand the impact that the question you're having has on the system in which you ask it. So all the people involved. And I think a good example or a good framework to use around that is game theory. You know, game theory says I am going to potentially change my answer based on what I think your answer is or how you are going to interpret my answer. So it's a little bit like playing rock, paper, scissors, you know, if I think, well, let's, let's start, you're going to go with, you know, you go with rock, I'll go with paper, but you know that I'm going with rocks, so I change my, my, uh, my response each time. And one of the things that we found, and we've been, we've been I suppose, in a way, trying to preach this for, for nearly 15 years, is that when you look at getting feedback, don't ask for rated feedback. And that is the most popular form of feedback. He has ten questions. Rate right? Martin on a scale of one to five or one to ten. Um, how approachable is he? Does Martin have leadership skills? Does Martin collaborate well with others? Does Martin is Martin strategic? Now, obviously, as you mentioned, the person answering that question is immediately self benchmarking. If I'm a highly creative person, I'm going to answer that question relative to what my benchmark is. So everybody else who is less creative than me will not be as creative. Exactly. Um, and vice versa. So, you know, one of the things that we strongly promote and eventually people, our clients go with it, but there's always a pushback at the, at the, at the, at the beginning is that we'd ask, why do you want to know this information? You don't ask these type of questions because using a survey is going to say, hey, we should fire Michael because he's terrible at everything. If, if you were that bad at everything, we'd already know it. You know, we wouldn't need any software to tell us that, that somebody was bad at something. So let's assume that anybody who's in the organization um, has some kind of talent. Um, what we need to try and understand is what talent do they actually have? I mean, what are they good at? And then we also need to understand the flip side what is it that they're not that good at so you know we always look at it as the, the the strength-based approach is the one side that whole positive appreciation positive psychology is fine the development approach is fine but it also focuses on what you're not good at um and to take what to take one over the other is a little bit like saying i'm going to cross the road And I'm only going to look either right or left, (laughs) you know, and generally what happens is whichever way you don't look, that's the thing that knocks you over. So we really would try and like to understand both of those things. We want to know what you're good at. And then in terms of the, the second thing, I want to know what you're not good at that is most important for your success. So I'm not interested in, you know, Michael is not a good salsa dancer. That, that makes no difference to me. I need to understand that dancing salsa is an important requirement for success. So what we do is, uh, depending on which technology we're using, we have two different versions. But essentially what we'd ask people to do is to rank a set of attributes. So with the executive assessment, we use 60 attributes and you pick a top 20 and a middle 20. And the ones you leave out are obviously the things that least describe you. So, um, and we do another one at a low level where we use 18 characteristics, uh, but the same 60 attributes. So it's, one is just a measuring in centimeters, uh, the other is in millimeters, or one is measuring in inches and the other one is in feet. It depends which uh, <laughs> okay. system I, okay. I, just wanted to, just so hey, you I knew what, that, Mark, where we You were.
0: are culturally sensitive, I must say.
1: <laughs> the, the metric system. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, so what we would ask basically is, and, and I'll simplify it down to three things. If I wanted to know from you, you know, rank these three characteristics, uh, approachable, detail-oriented, and creative, which one do you think you're best at? Now, let's say um, I'm going to go with approachable, okay, and then creative, and then detail-oriented. Now, that may or may not be the way you see yourself. But at least I know I have a sense of you think you are better at being approachable than you are at being creative and you're more creative than you're detail oriented. Now it makes sense for me to go and ask other people that question as well, using those same three attributes. Now, if I ask somebody who doesn't like you, they can't say Michael's terrible at everything because I'm asking them, what is Michael best at? What is he next best at? And then you can leave the other thing out. So even your worst enemy is going to say, well, I hate Michael, but he is approachable. That, that would be the best attribute that he's got. And he is kind of um, detail orientated. Uh, but he's not, I don't think he's that creative. So maybe they have a different view from you, or maybe they don't. But if I'd asked that same question of somebody and I said, rate Michael on a scale of one to five, if I don't like you, I'm just going to give you a ones for everything, regardless of, of how well you do something. We see that horns and halo effect, where somebody has poor people skills, so they get rated poorly on everything, and vice versa. Somebody is enormously likable, so they get great ratings on everything. Um, You've got to think, I'll come back to the game theory concept again. You've got to think, if we were doing this and there was an HR person who had deployed the survey, the logical thing for me to do is say, Michael, HR is trying to figure out what we're good at. I'll give you fives, you give me fives, and we'll, you know, um, BSHR because, you know, um, they're just asking these questions. We can pretty much say anything. But because the feedback is anonymous and we're both going to be competing for the same um, position perhaps later on, we agree that we'll each give each other fives, but I give you ones anyway. From a game theory point of view, that would make sense. That would be the logical thing for me to do. So I think you've got to be very careful when you ask the question, um, what, is, what is the game theory response? How would people respond in a situation where they are actually incentivized to not answer accurately? And your, your example with, is this person a high potential is a classic example, particularly when you don't know what a high potential looks like. So, I mean, one of the things that we, when we look at that question, we now look at uh, career trajectory. So we would say if somebody is not at this level by that age and this level by that age, they're not on a very steep career trajectory. So it'd be like saying if if you're not sort of at 17 or 18 playing in college or, or at a high level of football and then you're not at the, the college football league, then you'll never get into the NFL, you know, when that first draft happens. They don't pick 38-year-olds into the National Football League because – if you are only getting into that league at that age, well, then we've clearly missed you and you're definitely not a high potential. That doesn't mean there aren't 38-year-olds, or maybe there aren't. <laughs> it doesn't mean there's not 33-year-olds in the NFL, but they, possibly, they probably weren't high potentials. Your high potentials are your 17 and 18-year-olds or 16-year-olds who are going to reach great heights. And perhaps in the NFL, instead of saying, did you get there, rather you look at earnings, for example. You know, what's the what's the differential in earnings between one person and another? So in an organization, we just worked with a client now and they've just completed a questionnaire, 12 questions to identify potential. And so we have data. We have data on those behaviors. Um, And we also have data in terms of we know how they are and we know what level they are at. And so we can determine what their career trajectory is, whether it's a steep trajectory, a moderate trajectory or a shallow trajectory. And so they've answered the questions. Now, somebody scores well on these high potential questions, ability, agility, aspiration. And there's 12 questions related to them and the manager answered them and gave them great scores. But they're 58 and they had like a level two sort of uh, junior management role. There is no way somebody can be a high potential at 58 at level two. It just, it's not possible. If they were, we obviously missed it, but you cannot be a high potential in that space. So it would be like if you're trying to throw a stone over a wall, um, the trajectory has to be steep to get over the wall, and this one you've just thrown the stone and it's just hit the wall. So that data alone says it doesn't make sense to ask, is this person a high potential when they are not on an accelerated career trajectory. You know, so I'm not saying everybody who's on an accelerated career trajectory is a high potential, but I can, you know, so not every 17-year-old is the next greatest thing in football. Of course. But I can guarantee you that the 38-year-old is definitely not the next greatest
0: thing in football. Right. Martin, you said something that's very important, but it goes against the common sense in corporate America, at least, and that is... We're so used to rating people between 1 and 10, um, and we design our systems for that. And when you now say, well, we're going to get away from that and now talk about a relative ranking and ask our, you know, an among three attributes, which is high, middle, or low, that, that goes against people's common sense. And yet, when you think about it a second time, it's quite appealing for the reasons that you're talking about, among others. There's been so much work done about um, uh, raider, raider bias. I mean, people have built their careers. You know, Daniel Kahneman wrote a. Uh, we have a pillars, uh, Nobel Prize winners, and, et etc. And yet, we 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 know about raider bias, but we still keep doing the same things to promote it. What say? Can you unpack that a little bit? What what do you see is going on there?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's the same thing, and I think we see it in education. Um, as well. So, that, that whole issue of um, I, I get a rating. I, I am a, a, an A you know, student, and it's very important that I get uh, straight A's. Yeah, but what if I get an A in math and I, I get an F in Spanish and geography and biology? Does that mean overall I'm not a good student, or does that mean I should probably be trying to use my math skills? More than I should be using my language or art skills. So you know the the, the thing is that there's so much value attached right from a very early age That's in a, yeah. being the straight A student that people don't want to say, okay, so there's something I'm not good at. And when we use a ranking approach, the reason why we do it is we say if I understand that um, the the strengths you've got and I can I can. Get that information because where do I get it from? I ask five or six other people and all of them say, this kid is amazing at maths. They're terrible at languages though. So already I don't, I can see other people have observed, I'm, I'm validating the information. So I've got a consistent source of feedback that says this person is good at math. Now it makes sense for me to acknowledge that strength and say, how do I use that strength? because that strength is the place I should help that person move in the direction where their strength is going to be used. However, if they are not good at, for example, languages, that may limit their ability to move further. So I'm going to say let's move them in the direction of maths, but even as a researcher, I'm going to have to eventually write a paper on the thing that I've been researching. So I don't have to be, you know, the most eloquent speaker But I definitely need to be good enough to write a research paper. And I think what people um, sometimes miss is that there are certain things that you need to be very good at, and there's not that many things that you can be very, very good at. And the rest of the stuff, just don't suck at. You know, just get it beyond a threshold where it damages you. So not everybody's a great writer, but most people can learn to be a good enough writer. Not everybody's a fantastic people person, but most people can learn to be good enough to just not annoy the hell out of everybody else. So, you know, what we're trying to figure out is if that kid is good at math, move them in that direction. If they're not good at Spanish or at, at writing, written communication, help them develop that because it will be important. But if they're not good at geography and they're never going to use it, then don't worry about that. It's not a requirement. So coming back to your question, why do people have this, this perception that I need a rating um, is that they need the reinforcement of, of being the straight A student. Huh. And that's the other problem with ratings is that ratings are horribly judgmental. As soon as you rate somebody, you're judging them you know, against some criteria. So I think it's really important to try and remove that judgmental aspect. You can definitely get a more positive um, system set up. If you think about why am I asking people to to do like a 360, for example, it's not to make some people feel good and other people feel bad. It's not to find out that this person's a terrible performer. I already know that. I know if they're not a good performer. What I want to be able to do is I want to say if I want to work, remember coming back to my original point is if, the value of talent is all about a good fit between the person and the context in which they're operating, then my job as an HR person is to do one of two things. One, eat, understand what those strengths are. Two, ensure that the weaknesses they have don't derail them. And three, I've also got a third option, which is change the context in which they're operating. So if I come back to like the, the manager, for example, or manager. If I know this manager is not really that great at strategy, let me just bring somebody in to help them with the strategy component of their job. I don't need to make them a great strategist because that would be a lot of investment in an area that wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't get a great return on. But I can only do that if I know the person's really good at certain things, lacks this thing. At that point, I make a decision. Do I develop it or do I support it or um, remove the the requirement for it? And now I've got a whole lot more options available to me.
0: I've really enjoyed the conversation. I've learned a lot. I was taking notes, and I really uh, appreciate uh, your your comments today. And uh, uh, I look forward to chatting uh, in the future soon.
1: Mike, thanks very much. It's been it's always it's always a, a pleasure to have a good chat with you, and particularly when it's not based on a client or doing some work <laughs> or whatever. It's really it's really nice to have a broader conversation about and, a whole and, range of things and the philosophy of great. how things and, work.
0: Good, and I wouldn't mind seeing you up again uh, up on the uh, uh, bandstand playing uh, your bass guitar. You did pretty good. I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't uh, go professional, though. I think you're. I think we're all better off with you uh, being uh, a
1: yeah. a people tree group. I think so. Martin, cheers. Thanks very much, Michael. Cheers.